the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's the listener mailbag. Gentlemen, that's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. Um, so I, I uh, went and I spoke with Tim Apple, and I realized that while we had sort of built in the questions to allow uh, listeners to submit them on Saturdays, we might talk about them on the Instant Reaction Pod. Uh, after the first run of that, the questions started to come in, and that's because it can take up to 24 hours for some of those questions to post. So uh, our, our new listener feedback response uh, system will, will involve addressing those questions probably on Mondays so that they've had some time to filter in. But that does not mean that we are stopping the collection of questions. So five-star reviews, comments, lovely comments, and questions, all of those are welcome. You can head on over to the Cover 3 podcast on Apple. You can also, uh, wherever you get the Cover 3 podcast, head over there, give a five-star rating, give us a review, include a question, it will be answered on an upcoming mailbag. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I am good. I want to be clear. If you leave a five-star review for the podcast, you can insult me as long as your question is still interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually was very encouraged. Like, I think we got a pretty strong listener base because the questions, for the most part, are pretty interesting. Like, not just you run of the mill, you know, boring call-in radio show questions. Like, I, I kind, I kind of was digging our 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 interaction. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to answer some of these. Okay. Our listeners are smarter than the listeners of every other college football podcast out there. So um, then, then let's start with the, the highest brow question from, uh, from the bunch. Uh, you've got three picks for college mascots, the real life version that you're taking into a battle for your life. The opponent is 10,000 third graders. <laughs> I will not judge you for any violence that occurs to these 10,000 third graders, <laughs> what three college mascots uh, would you take into battle? So first of all, this is the type of question that I spent significantly more time on than any true college football related question. Like I actually had to do a little bit of like thinking for this. Second of all, I'd like to clarify, are we taking one of the mascot or is this a team of like wildcats? Mm, like if, 85 if it's a, Wildcats against 10,000 third graders, I like I like my chances. But I kind of worked under the assumption you only had one. Right. So I got a couple thoughts. Okay, you got it. Well, first of all, I think your your best bet is to go with like a weather system 
you know, like a green wave or a cyclone. Hurricane. Hurricane, like 10,000 third graders got no chance. Half those dudes can't swim anyways, probably. (laughs) And so I think you're in good shape if you have a weather system. My one one go-to guy in terms of like my single mascot, Golden Knight. Just Mm. armor up, take a sword, and just start tearing into those little dudes. You've got them hanging off the like shoulder pads and the breastplate, ripping third graders off and throwing them into the moat. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, because like a mountaineer could run out of ammo, and then what? You know how 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 good can a mountaineer really fight? And then you know, uh, a a wildcat or a tiger or something. Those little suckers could probably outman them. But you get a sword and some armor. Have at it. Listen, this is this is pretty simple for me. Okay. First of all, I'm going to take the Cowboys because I'm going to need to herd those 10,000 kids (laughs) and keep them compacted. Nobody can do that better than a Cowboy. Second, I'm going to take the Cavaliers because my Cavalry is going to come in on horseback and it's going to swipe some of those kids down. Then behind my Cavalry, I'm bringing the Spartan Army, who I think will be pretty well equipped to take care of 10,000 third graders. Thank you very much. Yeah. United, uh, Black Knights, um, the Midshipmen, and the Falcons. Go Troops. Oh, Falcons a good one. Just kind of just just swoop down and pick them off one by one, 10,000 at a time. Yeah, it doesn't go as quickly. Picking out the eyeballs of little children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't go as quickly as the Hurricane or the Green Wave, but they don't have a chance against a Falcon. No, yeah, they're they're pretty much just helpless. <laughs> Here, here's my listener question: Would you rather be attacked by a badger or a bird of any kind, like an eagle, falcon? I, I would much rather be attacked by a falcon. Really? I something I, something like there's something real dirty about like having a badger just like gnaw at you. See, falcon I, falcons, you sort of like just gear up and like kind of get a little adrenaline rolling and then for the for the swoop attack like you can just sort of it just sounds like more f- a, a more fun fight I, th- I would rather fight the badger because i think it, it can do more damage but i can also get away from it a lot easier than a falcon if i have to whereas the falcon can follow me anywhere yeah <laughs> i just think of the thrill I, of competition i think bird <laughs> i think birds are d- just as dirty as falcons you yeah, just man. can't see they their go for dirty. the eyes. Badger can't get to my eyes. Yeah, that's true. You got a height advantage. Yeah. Um, all right. Who is who wins a championship first? And this is an interesting uh, collection that was put together. Five schools. Oklahoma, which has not won a national championship since Bob Stoops did in the early 2000s. Ohio State, which did win with Urban Meyer in the 2015 season. Georgia, which has, I believe, one national championship to its name from either 80 or 81. Texas, which has not won a national championship since 05, but played for it in 2009. Or Notre Dame, which uh, I don't know when Notre Dame's last title is. Tom, when is it? Uh, 1987. 1987. Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, Texas, or Notre Dame. Who wins a championship first? Tom. Ohio State this year. Yeah, so I think there's two, like... I think I agree with you on that, that Ohio State is the most likely because this year is included in it. I'm curious if your answer changes, Tom, if you just take this year out of it and say starting next year, who's most likely? (sighs) Uh, Georgia, just because I think that 
Oklahoma is going to be very good for a while. Texas, I think, is going to get better. Notre Dame's got a very difficult road simply because it's got to go undefeated like every year to really have a chance of getting to the playoff. Whereas Georgia, you look at the SEC. I mean, Nick Saban's not going to be around forever. And I think that when Saban finally does step down, Georgia is the most likely to fill that SEC power vacuum. So I would go Georgia. I sort of lean Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. Same. I, I, there's, there's been too many ridiculously talented Georgia teams that have not won national championships. Been a lot of talented Oklahoma teams that haven't won national championships. But they're just getting going. Like they've just had the past what three? I mean, this being the third, uh, maybe this being the fourth, maybe. But it feels like they are, like they're they're right on the precipice. And now, I think their defense is starting to get figured out and all they have to do is I mean if their defense was was just competent in any of those previous runs they had a pretty good good shot and now their defense is I think getting to competency level and whether they win a championship this year or not I just think Lincoln Riley is one of the as long as he's there I mean he could he could bounce any any day to the NFL but as long as Lincoln Riley's there I think that the Oklahoma offense is maybe the surest thing in all of college football. It's almost like the equivalent of the Alabama defense uh, from in the early to mid Saban era of Alabama. I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree, but I, I I don't think we could say Oklahoma's on the precipice more so than Georgia, considering Georgia has already reached the title game, which it lost in overtime after blowing a lead. And it had the lead on Alabama in the SEC championship game last year. So I feel like that's a program that's on the precipice because, yes, Oklahoma's offense is very good. But if we look at its playoff history, it got blown out by Clemson in the Orange Bowl. It got blown out of the water early against Alabama in the first round last year before playing better over the last three quarters and making it a more interesting game. And it also played Georgia in the Rose Bowl, which was an amazing game. But it blew a lead against Georgia, who overcame it. So I think Georgia's closer than Oklahoma. I think that Georgia's got a lot less work to do to get there, whereas Oklahoma still has work to do. I, would, I just think, well, I just think Oklahoma, like Georgia, I don't know. It feels like Oklahoma is is more dramatically different than their expectations were five years ago versus now. Than like Georgia was always like, man, when are we going to get the playoffs? When are we going to get the playoffs? Oklahoma, all of a sudden, we expect them to be in the playoffs. We expect them to contend for championships. I feel like the strides they've made are bigger than the strides Georgia made, just because Georgia was closer before. So maybe that's a maybe I'm misreading that, but I that I just feels like OU is more dramatically different than the old OU. I think what makes Oklahoma dangerous is that their offense is probably the most elite unit in the country. Offenses, defenses, special teams. I think that Oklahoma offense is better than anything else. I'm also unfairly applying just some sort of basic program level uh, anti-Georgia. Georgia's going to figure out a way to screw this up because they have been uh, so close time and time again and not been able to cash it in. And if you uh, and if you talk to somebody who was probably passed out in uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium at halftime when Georgia was up 13-0, Georgia won a national championship. They were celebrating <laughs> like they had it. It was all there for you. But then second and 26, too bad. Uh, On that note, because this was another common thread throughout some of our listener questions, uh, do you all think that Georgia fans are looking at Justin Fields' performance at Ohio State, and do they wish 
that he was starting in Athens either instead of Jake Fromm or at least still on the team. And I think there were different versions of this question, but all of it basically uh, seemed to tie back to the idea of do we think that Georgia fans have longing eyes looking at Justin Fields' success in Columbus? Uh, if I go strictly based off my Twitter mentions, some definitely do because anytime I tweet anything about Justin Fields, there is somebody with a Georgia avatar or a Georgia player in their avatar telling me that Justin Fields isn't that good and hasn't played anybody yet. On the whole, no, I think they're pretty okay with Jake Fromm. I, I think there is a there's definitely a Justin Fields contingent, a block of supporters that wish Justin Fields was still in Athens and maybe starting over Jake Fromm. I, that's probably a minority, um, but I think there's a not unhealthy amount, and I think that group of people would be wrong. Like, I think that that's as much as as, as good as Justin Fields is right now and as, as good as he's playing and as appealing as it would be to have Justin Fields on your team, Justin Fields would be wasted at Georgia. Like there, I think Georgia's probably better with Jake Fromm than they would be with Justin Fields, and and if there's any like issue with the whole Justin Fields saga and how it all played out, it's it's the eternally head scratching decision he made to even go to Georgia, like to step in there behind a guy that was starting as a true freshman that was a perfect fit for their offense as a guy that really is best suited for a system that's going to utilize his his legs, utilize his athleticism be a little more wide open, spread focused, as opposed to Georgia offense that's under center, hand the ball off, you know, much more centered around kind of a quarterback that's going to be a coach on the field as, a, as opposed to an, you know, uh, an athlete on the field, which is a big part of what Justin Fields game is. Like, it just was never like, well, that was never a fit. And so I think that Justin Fields is better off. I'm not saying Georgia is better off, but they're still they're like they're they I think they have the right guy at quarterback for what they want to do. Um so it's kind of a weird I, I understand it's a weird place for Georgia fans to be, but I think they got the right guy. Even if Justin Fields is better. Like you, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you I I thought you were going to say uh the eternally head scratching uh part of the reason why he was immediately eligible was a baseball game. Yeah, well, that's that. You know, when the, que- the when the question came in about like, it, does Justin Fields' success make us look back at the way he was handled at Georgia? And I was like, not from a coaching perspective, but I do think that uh, being uh, being called a, a racially charged slur at a baseball game, leading to his immediate eligibility, is probably one wrinkle of this story that we haven't discussed often because it's it is not a good look. For anyone, it's not a fun discussion to have on a otherwise fun listener mailbag podcast. But as I was trying to review, like, what was I thinking about Justin Fields at the time, or what you know, how did that go down? What was the transfer process? And I thought, oh yeah, the baseball. Okay, it was a baseball player. player not it was a baseball, baseball game. Yeah, it was a baseball player at a football yeah. game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, that was unfortunate, but um, in a, in a twisted way, it's. It's been a win for college football because we get to see Justin Fields at Ohio State instead of sitting on the bench. 
Okay, so follow up there. This was uh, another one from the mailbag. Is Ohio State as good as they have looked? Is it valid to think they haven't played anybody? One of us on the podcast has already fired on Ohio State plus 600 to win it all. I will ask the other one now to state his opinion first. Barton. (laughs) Who's fired on plus 600? Hello. (laughs) Nice. Nice. He's in. He's all in. I'm there. I mean, they're number one in my... In my rankings, in my CBS rankings, they're, they've looked the be- like the best team in the country. We talked about it a little bit on the reaction pod. I mean, I think Justin Fields, it's a, it's a combination of defense simplifying and, and all those talented players being, uh, being equipped with the, the system that can let them play loose and, and aggressive. And Justin Fields being a guy that's can, mask mistakes on offense and I don't think there's that many mistakes going around right now but Justin if, if things start start clicking he can just get Cam Newtonish on you and start running around I, I mean it, any any knock on Ohio State's schedule to this point is absurd like yes. they're they're playing good they're not they're not playing like a bunch of Mac teams they've played a top 25 group of five team and blew them out 42 played, to nothing. Yeah. They played a perennial top 15 team in Michigan State, blew them out. They played Indiana and who was the other one they played? And blew, I mean, it's just they, Nebraska. They, Nebraska, Nebraska and Lincoln. In prime time. Like, it's just, yeah, stop stop that. Just don't even bring it up. Like they played enough. And that doesn't mean they won't lose at some point, but they, they don't look like they're going to lose. I mean, I. It, it, Cincinnati is that number 25 team that beat UCF on Friday night, got to the top 25. Ohio State beat that team 42 to nothing. It beat a Michigan State team that was at number 25 in the rankings when it played it 34 to 10. Like we said, it beat Nebraska by 41. I, 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 I would advise everybody to spend less time worrying about who a college football team has played because – Newsflash, there are only five or six really good college football teams in the country. You know, maybe seven, eight elite teams that you can consider elite or at least close to elite. So it's hard to play a bunch of elite teams every week. So instead of focusing on who teams have played, look at how they've played and how they've played who they've played. And if you look at Ohio State, it has blown everybody out. It has not broken a sweat this season it's just dominated the closest game it played was the FAU game where it won 45 to 21 and Ohio State was up 28 to nothing within like five minutes in that game they're they're playing better than anybody in the country I don't care who they've played I think this is an example of and I I I made this statement a lot in the preseason uh, some version of this but I think this is an example of you know we'll, we'll see whether Ryan Day is a better fit for Ohio State over an extended period of time than, Ohio, than Urban Meyer or a better coach for Ohio State over an extended period of time than Urban Meyer. That's a high bar to, to reach. But I think in a single season with the roster that Urban Meyer accumulated through recruiting, Ryan, I would rather have Ryan Day being the coach of this team right now than Urban Meyer through this season. Because I think that this team is playing with the same level of discipline and execution as an Urban Meyer team, but it's it's also playing with, you know, Urban Meyer had a tendency to get a little tight. And we'll, hey, look, we, we've yet to see this team in a really tight game. So, you know, this, this, may, this could always change, I guess. But it feels like Ryan Day 
is is going to coach this team and these guys to just go play fast and and is is going to open up the playbook in a way that Urban Meyer maybe wasn't wasn't equipped personality-wise to do. Like I think Urban Meyer is just a little bit more of a I mean you see the emotional roller coaster that that dude goes on on the sideline during the course of a game. I just think Ryan Day is a little more of the modern offensive coach where he's just going to you know, I think the offense is going to be more explosive, more wide open. And and I think for this season, in order to win a national title, I would argue Ryan Day is probably in, in a pretty good position to, to, to do that. Ryan Day. Ryan Day's national championship in 2019 does what for Urban Meyer, uh, Urban Meyer's desire to come back to coaching? It. I mean, I think he's coming back already. Yeah, I don't think he's. <laughs> I don't think he needs an added, an added nudge. I don't. I don't think he, you know, was all super happy about stepping down at Ohio State. I don't think that was, you know, just his total decision. I think there were, you know, obviously there were a lot of things at play there. Um. Okay. Quick break to uh to to focus on another one of the more wide ranging, uh, not as specific questions. A callback to a, an old podcast where Barton was talking about how much college football coaches hate nerds. The, Not all. The question is, which college football coach or coordinator hates nerds the most? Yeah, I, I took some time to think through this one as well. Um, who wants to go first? You want me to go first here? <laughs> I'll just throw, I don't have any thought, but my initial reaction was Will Muschamp. Oh, Will Muschamp hates nerds. I didn't even have him on the list, but Will Muschamp <laughs> hates nerds. So I, I've got a few. So first of all, I think that that conversation stemmed back to the Vanderbilt-Florida fight last year or like when Derek Mason went across the field and was like jawing at, at, uh, at Todd Grantham. Right. And, Todd, Todd Grantham hates nerds. Todd Grantham hates nerds. Yeah. Like just will not put up with 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 that stuff. Like – and I think that Todd Grantham probably sets the bar in a lot of ways, but there's a few others out there that I think probably just are disgusted with nerds. I think Pat Narduzzi is probably pretty freaking disgusted with nerds. Like I think I, I think Pat Narduzzi is. Wait, you're saying the guy who wanted to kick a field goal on fourth and one from the one when his team uh, needed a touchdown to to tie the game? Yeah, I mean he comes from the take a crowbar to the analytics computer uh, background at, at Michigan State. You know, that's where he cut his teeth. He, he is not he's not an analytics guy. He's going to beat he's, – he's a nerds and the nerds, is, nerds deserve to go in the trash can kind of guy. <laughs> I, I think that Arkansas has a long history of hiring anti-nerd guys. Brett Bielema, nerd hater. Bobby Petrino, nerd hater. What if she's wearing glasses and a sweater? Well, that's you know different story. <laughs> Chad Morris, I, I really think probably most coaches that have coached high school football in like East Texas are just—it's ingrained in them that nerds are 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 not helpful for the hu- human species. So, I think Chad Morris, as a Texas native, is probably pretty anti-nerd as well. I think I think Jeremy Pruitt is just puzzled by nerds. Like, why would you want to go to class when you can be playing football? 
I think Jeremy Pruitt's probably puzzled by a lot of things. <laughs> well, I mean, we see at least all asparagus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a classic Jeremy Pruitt. Like, if you're, like, you're eating asparagus, that's a nerdy thing to eat. Get out of it. What, what the heck is that? A uh, couple other last three ner- anti-nerds. I think Rocky Long at San Diego State probably was super anti-nerd. Just an old school you know, hard-nosed coach. Doesn't have to recruit nerds at San Diego State. Just gets a bunch of tough guys. Doesn't have to put up with them. And then Ed Orgeron is probably more entertained by nerds. I don't know that he hates nerds, but I think Ed Orgeron probably, like, is is also sort of a little bit... <laughs> Makes him chuckle real deep. <laughs> right. I yeah, I think Ed would listen to a nerd if a nerd had advice, but I don't think Ed would want a nerd playing for him. Yeah, he'd be like, "Oh, get, get, get on over here, nerd! You got some, you got some good stuff to tell me. What's the nerd think about this? You what know, like go for two? <laughs> yeah, call up the nerds. Yeah. Who's you know? He, he probably has a nerd on staff that like is like <laughs> he just calls him nerd. He doesn't know. Nerd. Hey, nerd, come here. Right, right. So I, I think he's got a healthy respect for nerds, and then Mario Cristobal. Even though, like, I think all O linemen by nature have to have sort of a a nerd, like a, a nerd appreciation or at least a nerd toleration, Most because so many offensive linemen are nerds. But I think Mario Cristobal is 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 starting to, you know, he he's starting to kind of wade into the anti nerd realm. But uh, I'm sure he's still got some nerd friends from his O line days. Offensive linemen are just nerds that never got picked on because they were too big. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, you got any more that you want to throw in here? Uh, no, I feel like you went through the, the list pretty good. Um, let's see. Anybody off the top of my head that I could think? I mean, David Shaw loves nerds, obviously. Uh, no, I think you got it pretty good. I mean, I bet Brian Van Gorder hates nerds. Yeah, I thought about bringing up Brian Van Gorder. Um you know, it's funny. A lot of the answers, like you would think, like nerd nerd haters would would correlate to really good defensive football teams. I think a lot of bad defensive coordinators are nerd haters who just they're a little bit unevolved and they just need to 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 realize that there is a place in this world for nerds. And I think that would help their defense a little bit. They just get you know get get out of the mud a little bit. So that's some 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 to think about, just some to some to gnaw on. I found, it's always fun to think about how many people work at institutions of public learning who hate smart people. Well, I, so that that was where I was going to bring this up before we move on. If I showed you Jeff Collins's resume and you didn't know much about his personality, then you would think, oh, defensive coordinator at Mississippi State in Florida, like that guy must hate nerds. <laughs> That must be a terrible fit at Georgia Tech. But then you find out Jeff Collins is a Star Wars nerd and he's bringing Star Wars references into every aspect of his football program. So in that case, he becomes a uniquely qualified candidate to lead Georgia Tech. Yeah, very much so. Jeff Collins, you're a nerd. Nerd. Yeah, he is not just a nerd lover. He is kind of a nerd. That's what I'm saying. He's probably probably spent two hours alone talking about the Marvel universe versus the DC universe this week. Well, I mean, (laughs) it wasn't preparing for North Carolina. That's for sure. (laughs) Uh, All right. So let's um, do do y'all have any I I can keep uh, picking. Is there anyone that you're hankering to get after? 
Uh, I saw one that's not really a question as much as it's a statement. Was it okay? How do you let's address it? Love the pod. Tom is a good man, but his locks have made me close to bankrupt. That's not a question. Well, and I would like to point out that Tom, Chip, cover your ears. Tom is twenty-seven and twenty-nine in the locks for negative four point nine units. Chip is twenty-three and twenty-six for negative five point six units. So who's who's cult causing you to go bankrupt? Huh? Huh? That's what I thought. Tom, just just this the trust the process, man. This is early. It's still early in the year, you know. So they just gotta they have to be reminded some of these new heads that the process is a year long exploration and sometimes it's year over year yeah sometimes it's, sometimes you get five years before you get in the positive but just keep on chipping away it's like the it's like the you know it's like the stock market or like an index fund you know some years it's going to lose money but in the long run it's going to gain it it kills me that y'all don't talk about more of the big 12 welcome to the big 12 corner pew 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 pew, pew. um the i think that we talk about the big 12 a decent bit I think that we've d- discussed the uh, the the rising Matt Rule Baylor Bears, the confounding Iowa State Cyclones, Kansas State having its uh, a team to get excited about for the first time since Colin Klein. What's our what's our current state of the Big Twelve right now? Well, I'm most confounded right now by TCU. Mm. I would say that is my that is my number one con- con- confounding t- of a of a conference full of confounding. I think TCU is most so right now because. I thought they had a chance to be pretty good this year, and I know they're playing a true freshman quarterback, and he's shown some flashes. But uh, I mean, defensively now they're giving up a bunch of points, and I'm not sure what to make of TCU. But I, I, I continue to believe, and I know Texas, some Texas folks are feel like we're not giving them enough credit here. But I continue to think it's uh, top of the conference, Oklahoma, bottom of the conference, Kansas, and then a bunch of other teams that are going to beat each other. And I think I think we're in the midst of that. You know, we just saw Oklahoma State lose one to Texas Tech. Um, you know, I think we got we got some we got a lot of interesting Big Twelve games coming. That's part of maybe why we don't talk about them enough. Is it's the, the tier system is so up in the air that it's uh, you know the identity of these teams is is still getting sorted out. Yeah, going back to the point about TCU, here's just a quick rundown of points allowed per game in Big 12 games. In 2017, TCU allowed 18.6 points per game. In 2018, it went up to 26. This year, it's only been two games, but 31 and a half points. I mean, the defense has fallen off a cliff. That's that's what TCU's problem is. But as far as the entire conference, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of interesting teams in the Big 12 this year, and it's, a, it's along the lines of what Barton saying and that Oklahoma is the clear number one, Kansas is the clear number 10, and then two through nine are all pretty similar in a lot of ways, although I do think Texas is separating from everybody else. But I think, you know, Baylor's ranked this week and it should be. It's undefeated. We talked about it on Saturday night. The schedule hasn't exactly been super impressive, but they've, like we were talking about with Ohio State earlier, I mean, Baylor's schedule is not close to Ohio State's, but it's not so much who you're playing, but how you're playing. And Baylor's looked very good. Defensively, the Bears only allowed 16.5 points per game against Big 12 opponents. So I think Baylor's interesting. I think Kansas State is definitely heading in the right direction again after kind of falling off the last few years. Texas Tech's going to take a little time. You know, Matt Wells has got to get in there and get his stuff going. And then, you know, Oklahoma State is going to be Oklahoma State. I, I, I think it's a fun conference. I enjoy watching it. It's just there's really only one national title contender. So I think that because of that and because Oklahoma hasn't 
really gotten to the meat of its schedule yet. There hasn't been too much reason to talk about it, but I think that's going to change this weekend when Oklahoma and Texas play. Yeah, listen, well, well no kidding. The the we went, if we don't talk about the Big Twelve enough, then okay, it's noted. But this is still the podcast that is on the record as saying the Big Twelve is the best conference in college football. Bam yep. bam. Are we criminally are are we criminally underrating the Longhorns? No. Yeah, I think like I don't understand why Texas fans believe that they deserve. I'm not saying that Texas isn't a top tier team in college football. I don't think they are, but it's I'm I'm willing to entertain that they might be. But I don't think what they've shown us to this point is is some like obvious like merit some obvious inclusion in that tier. Like what? I mean, they've been they've been good. They've been in that. 15 to 8 in the top 25 tier. Yeah, I, I, I would have liked to have seen them blow out Oklahoma State in West Virginia if we were going to take right. them like, as a yeah. top 7 team. Yeah, you got you to gotta, you gotta push, the, push the foot down on the gas pedal for those games. Um, coming up on but the... I, oh, go ahead. Well, nothing. I was just going to say. I, I tell you, did you all watch that West Virginia game much for Texas? No, I've got it on my slate to review as we put in our Oklahoma prep this week. I didn't get many eyes on it. So they've been pretty banged up in the secondary. Yeah. And But Deshaun Jameson kind of is getting healthy now, and he's back. Whoo, man, he made some ridiculous plays on the back end. And that I like that Texas secondary. Like, Texas is still exciting because – They've got some individual players that are really dynamic on both sides of the ball. They just got to get, you know, they got to get bulked up, beefed up the line of scrimmage defensively. I think. And anyways, it's uh, this week's going to be a fun game. Coming up on the other side, more of your questions, our answers, like uh, whether the ACC is underperforming, uh, how we feel about Manny Diaz and Miami, and uh, some thoughts on some freshmen that are popping. From, of course, Barton Simmons, uh, who's got our eyes on him. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, uh, post-Notre Dame, what is a realistic outlook for the Virginia Wahoos? Realistic is, I think the best-case scenario is 11-1. I think that that's not, a, not like I could see that. I think a more realistic expectation is 10 and two. Like when you look at their schedule, they should like, they look to me better than everyone else on their schedule. Yeah. But I don't see, I don't think they're good enough to go through that unscathed. So I think you can like, I think the, the bar for the rest of the year is expect 10 and two. Um, and be, if they somehow go 11 and one, then be thrilled, but be happy with 10 and two and, you know, nine and three is still a pretty good year. Yeah, I'd really like to see if Virginia can go on the road on Friday night and, you know, handle itself against Miami. I think we'll have a much better idea because it, it lost to Notre Dame. It, it stayed within two scores despite, you know, an offensive line that was just getting 
obliterated and you know Bryce Perkins a couple a few fumbles that led to defensive touchdowns and it's like if those turnovers don't happen that game might have been a lot different so I, I want to see Virginia play a clean game on the road against Miami and if they do that and they win that game and you look at the rest of the schedule it's Duke at Louisville at North Carolina Georgia Tech Liberty and Virginia Tech to finish the season I feel like that North Carolina road game is probably the most difficult one and then of course there is the you know the Virginia Tech game, which is that the rock that they've been pushing up the mountain forever. So I, I, I think that this is a team that could get to ten wins. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's realistic to set the to set a number and and have that be where Virginia needs to be looking. Like that's the Virginia has not played for an ACC championship since they split into divisions. So number one, win the coastal because if Virginia wins the coastal at eleven and one, but if Virginia wins the coastal at nine and three, like there, there's a difference in the win count, and it makes Bronco Mendenhall's, you know, to, makes the era look even better. But I, I don't think that a Virginia fan is going to be going into Charlotte with that Clemson game on deck all that differently because it's still a team that's going to be an underdog by multiple touchdowns and that's going to need some kind of, you know, incredible. Uh, hero ball from Bryce Perkins to be able to come out with the win and to win you're probably not going to the college football playoff either way and so it's it's almost become simpler like Tom to your point like man you got you got to beat Virginia Tech and you got to win at North Carolina and that's because North Carolina looks like it might be one of the teams that's also in the mix for the coastal division and Virginia Tech because man you've got to get one over on your rival they're like winning the coastal and beating Virginia Tech feel bigger to me than any individual win total. Not that, like, you know, wh- where am I setting my expectation? I think that they're not good enough to go through it unscathed. They're going to lose a game that they don't probably shouldn't lose. But if they win the right games, then I think they meet expectations and they're in Charlotte playing for the ACC title. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, this team could finish the regular season 10-2, and two, but if that second loss is to Tech... It's going to be like a very bittersweet 10-win season for that fan base. Totally agree. I think it's big they got Florida State early in the season because Florida State's going to keep on playing better, I think. And they got that one behind them. And now you look ahead and I guess this, I mean, Miami this weekend on the road probably is the biggest test remaining. But I mean, not the Duke, Louisville, North Carolina, any of those are are, are games they can't lose. But uh Virginia, I mean, I got, yeah, they can't lose at home to Virginia Tech at the end of the year. They just can't. No. Why does Bronco the, won't, baby. I'm a Bronco <laughs> believer. Why does the ACC continually underperform as a conference? A rising tide lifts all boats. It's uh, Miami and Florida State's fault. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about the, the conference underperforming if, if Miami and Florida State were performing. That's what it's about. And that's that goes with all, with all conferences. Yep. If, you're, if your blue bloods aren't getting it done, then your conference is going to have a bad national perception. Uh, right now, USC and UCLA aren't getting it done in the Pac-12, so everyone thinks the Pac-12 sucks. When Oklahoma and Texas weren't weren't contending in the Big 12, everyone said the Big 12 sucked. Um, that's that's just the way it goes. And so, until Miami and Florida State start playing good football again, the ACC is going to be "quote unquote" down. Do you think that it? Do you think that? Um the ACC as a whole finds itself in any kind of uh, hole or gap in terms of resources to some of the other Power Five conferences? Mm, I mean, 
You're, you're, you're the ACC guy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you Tell mean me. from like TV revenue or? No, well, I, I think the answer to that question is that they just have like three Vanderbilts. Um, there's just, I mean, Duke and Wake Forest, and then, uh, I mean, like it's not Boston College has some good uh, football history, and they've had good football teams. But just in terms of sort of what it's fighting, Georgia Tech, I mean, I think that's another one. I mean, we just don't have the – it's not a, a long list of really, really large, massive enrollment state schools. And so there is a little bit of a gap there, but it's not – I mean, I, that that is not something that should – uh, it, it defines stadium size. It defines probably the number of alumni that give. But at Wake Forest, they just opened up the Sutton Performance Facility or you know whatever their indoor facility is. So I, I think that that is what the outside opinion that is looking at it and trying to cite a, a resource disadvantage, it probably just has to do with the fact that the ACC has some, some smaller schools. That's fair. But that's yeah. more of a – that's more of a like – that's not a, like I think we're talking this year a little bit, and that's that's something they're always going to have to wrestle with. Um, I still think that if we're talking about if we're talking about just this year, you're right. Yeah, for sure. That it's it's really about it's just about getting the blue bloods rolling. Um, you know what I think it is. What I think it's that the ACC soft because it cares too much about basketball chip. I mean that that a hundred percent plays into it. As a guy that is going to a wedding this weekend of a former basketball player in the heart of football season, I, I'm I'm very I'm, I'm very anti basketball players right now, <laughs> and so I'm I'm on board with that take there, Tom. Uh, Barton, basketball is ruining this country. <laughs> Barton, do you feel differently about the Manny Diaz hire? And also, this is another question, not from the same person, but another question was, can you explain what has happened to Miami? Hey, can... Think about this for a second here. Help me out. And I just... I'm, this is borderline real time, so I didn't really look, dig into this, but is like a program that was down... When was the last single year flip that we've seen? Meaning, coach comes in first year, things look dramatically different. Have we seen that recently? Justin Fuente, six wins in Beamers last year, ten wins when he comes in. Okay, is that about it? I, that was. I mean, I, I'm sure there's more. That, I'm sure there's got to be something else I'm not thinking of. Uh, Urban Meyer goes undefeated after Luke Fickle was. Uh, yeah, but that's different because <laughs> it's Urban Meyer. Yeah, I mean, he was still inheriting a Jim Trussell program. There was just a whole mess there for Fickle's first season. I don't think that counts. Uh, I mean, does Jeff like, Tom count at Purdue? I mean, uh, still, yeah, maybe a little bit. Games, but they made a quick turnaround. Yeah, that that's probably that's probably the best one that I, I can think of offhand. I mean, my, I guess what I'm getting at is Manny Diaz right now is in the midst of a program culture change whatever you want to call it and there's not a whole lot of precedent right now for dramatic improvements in these sort of situations and i think if there's one person i feel differently about and i don't even know if differently i mean i i, I, I was sort of in the impression he was a little overhyped to begin with but dan enos is the one that i think has got a little bit to prove at this point because the offense 
is, you know, supposed to be this quarterback friendly offense. And it's supposed to be, you know, he was, he was really the key hire, you know, with Miami, the problem has been quarterback offense explosiveness and, Everyone's been begging Miami to go to some sort of an air raid type of spread system to to lean on the the skill players down there. And Manny Diaz pushed back on it a little bit. And look, Dan Enos will open it up and he'll he'll throw the ball around, but he's still ultimately not not that. And he's he's so far this year, it's not really clicking offensively. And so I'm going to be a little harder on Dan Enos than I am on Manny Diaz in in year one. I, th- I think as far as the entire Miami situation, are we? Do we overlook just the ACC's role in this? Because Miami was a dominant program in the late '90s, early 2000s, and then, of course, you know, earlier than that, it went with Jimmy Johnson in the late '80s. But as soon as it joined the ACC, it kind of just stopped being that. Now, is is this a situation where Miami had great talent, but as an independent, it was able to play who it needed to or wanted to? Then in the Big East, it wasn't facing as many other teams with the same kind of talent level. And now, ever since joining the ACC, it's faced a lot more teams than it has to, you know, than it has to used to. So if you look, they've had plenty of good seasons, but since joining the ACC in 2004, they've only had one 10-win season. That came a couple years ago under Mark Richt. And they've only finished the season ranked in the AP poll five times since 2004. So, I mean, NCAA penalties obviously had an impact on this during the Al Golden era. But I think that the one thing that's kind of overlooked is Miami moved up a step as far as conference and as far as competition goes. And it hasn't been able to, re, to you know, re-spark what it had before. And I think that the change in conference has played a role in it because it's facing better teams year in and year out. Miami also small private university. Yeah. Yeah. Also, everybody caught on to the fact that there was a ton of talent in South Florida. That's that's true too. There probably is some to that. I mean, it used to be like it during the Jimmy Johnson, Erickson, Davis, Coker years, they were able to just lock down that entire area, get everybody they wanted from it. And now everybody recruits it. Well, I just think and not only that too, but I think just recruiting as a whole has become more national it's become less mm-hmm. hey i'm going to go to my local school i'm going to go you know go where to the team that's on tv in notre dame or whatever it's it's i mean everyone's on tv everyone recruits nationally everyone recruits at least very regionally and you know those guys aren't just all going to go to miami it's it's like a bizarro situation that we've seen at nebraska where it's you know clearly the difference is miami's in a very fertile area nebraska's in an area that's always been unfertile but Nebraska was able to recruit nationally because of its brand. And now it's, you know, it's just Nebraska. So it can't really attract all that top talent like it used to because everybody else is recruiting nationally now, too. What are you know, your questions? Oh, go ahead. Were you, going to, were you going to another question, Chip, or are you going to stay on this? I was going to go to another question. Is there one that you want to tackle? Yeah, yeah. There was one that I liked. Uh, where do you see all the Big Ten coaches in five years? All right. So I got I, I listed out the coaches here. Let's I want to go through it because I think this is kind of interesting. All right. So Ryan Day at, at Ohio State. Where do you see him in five years? Ohio State. Ohio State. Agreed. Okay. James Franklin at Penn State. USC. Uh, no, I th- I think Urban's going to take USC, but I think that James Franklin could end up at Alabama. 
Nick Saban retires. Oh man, that would be that would be interesting. I I actually have USC written next to this too. I just think he's such an interesting one. I don't I don't think I don't think Urban's going to USC. I think Urban might come back, but it's just that one that's Urban's going to Illinois. That one just it it's been talked about too much. Like it, it is uh, it, it's being treated as though it's a surefire thing, and I, I don't, I don't think it's that surefire. Occam's razor, man. The most obvious solution is probably the solution. I know what Occam's razor is, but thank you for. I'm just saying it for other listeners who might not chip. I respect your intellect. I didn't know what Occam's razor was. <laughs> the the Yaley doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I get educated on this pod all the time. Thank you. Um, so my thing with like James Franklin is the he's like the best. This he's a sexy hire that has, still has proven success. Like there's, it feels like you know he can recruit. He's me- media friendly. He's he has had success, and yet there's still some. It feels like untapped there still. And so I think he's going to be, if some of those big jobs come open, then, and not that Penn State isn't one of them. But I mean, that's that's what's interesting about this. Like you could make a case that Penn State is is pacing towards being one of the, you know, the top tier in college football. I mean, they're certainly in that sort of top eight tier right now, it feels like this year. And James Franklin is from Pennsylvania originally. And like, there's all kinds of reasons that he stays there. But I also think that he's as ambitious as he is if USC came open and if USC starts making their candidates list, it feels like James Franklin would be one of the three or so they'd call. And I just, man, it feels like that would be a fit in a lot of ways. So that's, yeah. He's a dude who can coach at a blue blood and win because it's like, you know, he, like you said, he's a, he's a great recruiter. He's a dogged recruiter. He's, he's not afraid to do what he has to do to get the guys. I mean, it's, it's not easy to get that kind of talent to Penn state these days, but he's been able to do it because he's able to sell his program and he's a very good salesman, which you have to be if you're going to win national titles, but he's also, he's not afraid to surround himself with smart coaches. He's not, you know what I mean? He's, he's hired, look at the coordinators that he's had. He's had a lot of very good coordinators. He had a lot of, a lot of very good position coaches, guys who have moved on to bigger jobs and he keeps finding new guys to take over. He's not afraid to surround himself with smart people. So when you put those things together, that makes him a very attractive candidate to blue blood programs, because that's kind of what you need to win national titles. All right. Uh, Paul Christ, Wisconsin. (laughs) <laughs> I, agree. I agree yeah yeah, yeah yeah he's made for that job he's, yeah yeah uh, mike loxley five years five years is a long time probably fired yeah offensive coordinator somewhere you think i i'm 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 optimistic uh this probably i'm still saying maryland i think he might be the right fit there ravens so, offensive coordinator <laughs> uh pj fleck Bigger job somewhere. I said I just took a took a stab at this head coach of UCLA. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think he's going to leave. I I think I'm not saying Minnesota is a small job. It's a Big Ten job. But I think that if a quote unquote sexier school comes offering, if he if he keeps winning at Minnesota, he's he's a he's a guy that's looking to rise. Yeah, I don't and know. I think that his act kind of wears thin after a while. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. But can you imagine him? 
at UCLA and James Franklin at USC. Yes. That that'd be fun. Yes. I get the I think that'd get the Pac-12 back a little bit. Of course, I would have said the same thing about Chip Kelly being at UCLA. That's that's not working out. No. Nope. Uh, Tom Allen, gone, gone. So I think he I, I I put like I think he's like a DC and a defensive coordinator in the SEC. Five years. Yeah. Lovey Smith. Oh, he's gone at the end of this year. Big He'll be 10. retired. He'll he's, be in Florida. He's big back. Ten, big, big Ten <laughs> Network analyst. Maybe I think Lovey might just retire and go right live his off life. in the sunset. Yeah, grow that beard. Mm-hmm. Maybe Scott, go coach a high school somewhere. That's right, Scott Frost, Nebraska. Agreed. NFL. Really, really. Nah, uh, I mean he could he could dyke definitely stay at Nebraska for ten years probably, but I don't know. It's just it hasn't been as you know warm hugs as. We thought it hasn't been as instant perfect as we thought. I th- I think Mike Riley did a lot of damage in a short time. Mm, interesting. Yeah, Nebraska. All right. Now here, here's. I mean, I, I don't. I don't really know on this one. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. In five years. Yeah. In twenty twenty four. Yeah. That would mean he's been there for like ten, I guess. Right. So this is in this fifth year five. Yep. He's gonna be there. I'm not that That's, certain. So, I, okay, how about this? Michigan, probably the best bet given any other single option. Would you take Michigan versus just the field of just anything else? Head coach in the NFL, office coordinator somewhere, m- media analyst of some sort, reti- like, you know, being Michigan. a dad. Like, you think you take Michigan over all that? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I don't know. That's tough. There's, I think I, uh, you, I don't know. You may have, you may be right, Tom. I understand it, that he hasn't met expectations, but how many national titles did Bo Beckler win, and how long was he at Michigan? I don't think that he. I, I don't think it would be him getting fired. I, I think there's a lot of different ways for Jim Harbaugh to have football in his life, and if he believes that he is not having a positive impact on that program that he loves. I wouldn't in five in five years or at some point along that way, I wouldn't be surprised if he just steps aside, decides he's going to start, uh, you know, doing something else, pursuing one of those other opportunities, not taking another, not leaving for another job uh, at the college level, and probably not leaving for an NFL job. Though that might happen with like a you know you step down and then all of a sudden an NFL job comes open six weeks later uh, with the different coaching carousel hiring cycle that they have but i'm uh i'm not as confident he's still going to be there five years from now i think he thinks he's doing a wonderful job there and i think i think jim harbaugh isn't approaching it but wins and losses i think he's got other things that he's concerned about as far as that program wow. uh, kirk ferentz oh retired retired maybe yeah, he's, he's, he's a, either at iowa or retired he's a grandpa yeah mm. it'll be it'll be granddad in it uh the question is who would be the who Well yeah, is, is he is he gonna snide is he gonna Bill Snyder this and try to get uh Brian? Brian. Brian. Yeah. Man, Brian just needs and, and Brian is is I love Brian Ferentz as a as a football coach. Like when you hear like his the way he the way he views recruiting, the way he views um offensive line play, the way like I, I I'm. I would love for that to stay in in the Ferentz family business. Like, 
you know, hand it down to, to but he just got to get, get us more production on offense for it to stay the Ferentz family business. Um, here's, here's a wild card. You ready for this one? Bielema. This is not a prediction. Ferentz retires in the next couple of years. You know who replaces him? Bob Stoops. Mm. I don't know about that. I don't think it's likely, but I'm just saying that would be a fun little twist, wouldn't it? Bob Stoops says, you know what? I got out too early. This XFL thing's not working, and my alma mater's open. I'm coming home. <laughs> I think that Bob Stoops is more likely to be at Iowa than Auburn. You know, there's that. there was that sports by Brooks. Hey, Brooks, pay Tom his money. Uh, <laughs> he tried to throw out that report that a big money Auburn booster had already targeted Bob Stoops to replace Gus. I don't think. I think Bob Stoops, if he's coming back, I think it's something that's just going to be a little bit more of a comfortable job than necessarily that uh, that high profile, high high pressure job. Seems like seems like after uh, take, taking on the lifestyle of the early retiree, that stepping into the Auburn pressure cooker is not exactly what you want to be doing. Yeah, I don't know if you read Stoops's autobiography that came out recently, but. Yeah, that strikes me as I, th- I think Iowa would be more likely for him than Auburn at this point, too. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then I don't even know if we could do a Rutgers. Chris Ash. Oh, I got one for Chris Ash. Uh, I know he's he's not at Rutgers anymore, but I don't, I'm not, we're not going to do the, the, the interim guy. Chris Ash will be Brett Bielema's defensive coordinator at Minnesota. How about that? How about that? <laughs> I love the double punch right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the specificity. <laughs> I, You know what? I, I'm scared of Bielema being at Illinois next year, so I hope your prediction about him being at Minnesota comes true. <laughs> <laughs> you still haven't gotten to the one that I've been simmering on. Oh, did I miss one? Who's left? Mark D'Antonio. Oh, Yeah. I, I, somehow I missed him. Is Mark D'Antonio still at Michigan State in five years? Retired. I kind of think so too. I think he's retired. Plus, like, there's getting th- things seem to be consistently like getting sticky with off the field stuff in uh-huh. Michigan State these days. I just I wonder if if he loses his his uh, his patience with some of the off the field um, some of the off the field scrutiny that he's been under. Um, hottest college football uniform takes. And if you were a coach, would you go? Oh, wait, we forgot Jeff Brom at Purdue. Oh yeah. Louisville. I have him Florida state head coach. Ooh, better start winning soon then. He will. Hey, that hasn't mattered for Florida state's hire. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you see Willie he's Taggart's gonna get, record. <laughs> he's going to get Purdue. <laughs> He's going to get Purdue in the Big Ten championship game within the next five years, and that'll be enough. I I mean, sure. I don't I don't disagree, but it ain't happening in 2019. Nah, that's for damn sure. We're giving him a pass this year. Uh, hottest college football uniform takes. If you're a coach, would you go hat or visor? Hat. I mean, I'm a hat guy. Uh, backwards. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, when's, when is someone going to roll a backwards hat? Is there a backwards hat, college football coach? Just defensive no, but I, coordinators. I would be Matt Patriciaing it. Yeah, you get offensive and defensive coordinators will rock a backwards hat from time to time. Would you go, would you go straight up like baggy hoodie too, Tom? Oh, yeah. Backwards yeah. hat, baggy hoodie. 
Yeah, I uh, I mean, I would, I'm not a visor guy. Never felt a little naked on the top with the visor. I, don't, I can't. Feels funky to me, so I'd be a hat guy. And my hottest uni take is no, without question. I love the Michigan State alternate unis. You disgust me, sir. <laughs> I know you got a problem with that. Uh, I I hate almost all of Oregon's uniforms. I like nice. I loved the Maryland State flag uniforms. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I mean I I'm I, down I, with that too. I've I've uh. There, there are there's some unique Maryland state flag pride where I feel like I've seen a lot of clothes and uh, and, and a lot of that's not the only time that someone in Maryland has found a way to you know dramatize their state flag design onto clothing so I like it love it in fact <sighs> all right um. Can Jaden Daniels lead Arizona State to a Pac-12 title in the next three years? And there was also another question: uh, Could the Sun Devils win the South? And do you? And for Barton, do you see an upward swing ahead in Arizona State for recruiting? Well, I, I would kind of, I would answer yes on all those. There was, um, I saw Stuart Mandel tweet, like, kind of retweeted his. I think like he kind of gave was was self-deprecating and and called himself out on like questioning the hire of Herm Edwards at the time, like the 2017 tweet or whatever. And there was a person under it in 2017 that said, "I don't know, Stuart. I felt the same thing about Pete Carroll when they when USC hired him." And in retrospect, that's a pretty that's a pretty spot on take. I mean, let's never – we can't ever really doubt any of these guys until until it gets rolling, especially with NFL background. Lovey Smith played in the Super Bowl. Clearly, this isn't working for Lovey Smith. You know, Pete Carroll was an average NFL coach, and he was the best – you know, made made USC the dominant program in college football. I, I'm I'm on board with Herm Edwards. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not putting a cap on Arizona State, and particularly with the, a quarterback that's a true freshman that I think is really good that's going to keep on getting better. So – yeah, I think they got a shot at the at the South. I think that they could win the Pac-12 in the next three years, and I think they're going to keep recruiting well. They've actually recruited, I think, pretty well already. I mean, they're not they're not doing Oregon stuff. They're not like busting into the top fifteen or anything. But I've liked the way they've approached the recruiting, and if they keep on winning at a high level, I think Arizona State could 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 punch it up even further. So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling the Herm Edwards era right now, and I, and I like his decor his um, his coordinators too. I think those guys do a good job. I, I really like Jaden Daniels, but I think that Arizona State's ceiling depends on what USC does this offseason. For sure. that Absolutely. Yeah. If they hire Urban State or State. James Franklin, then no, I'm sorry. Arizona State's not going to be winning the Pac-12 in the next three years. I, I agree with that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, What are the odds that Auburn can break its 20-year drought in Baton Rouge against LSU later this month? I don't. I mean, not likely. Not great. Bob. Long odds. Do you think that Will Muschamp can get South Carolina back to what Spurrier had? No. Spurrier no. had all-time program high winning. I think that we need to do a better job of appreciating Steve Spurrier as a coach and what he's accomplished at all his stops. 
Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and let's stop giving Muschamp a pass for for being a football guy. I mean, he's a foot. He's he's a, a guy knows football. I have no doubt about it. But it, this has been a historically. I don't know about historically. I haven't looked. I haven't dug into the history enough to know how historical it has been. But this has not been a great stretch for the SEC East, and South Carolina has not taken advantage of it at all. Staying there in the state uh, with what will be our final question. I mean, we still got maybe nine, ten questions left that we can save for uh, for the next mailbag. Actually, I'll, I'll do a quick scan to to see if there's any that are time sensitive. Uh, but first, is eleven and one Clemson playoff worthy? Depends on the one and what else happens. Well, I mean, I think there needs uh, to be more context with that. Well, yeah, I I doubt it would be my answer. Yeah, I think I no. D- um, I doubt it, and because I think that the other teams are going to be have too good of a, a resume, look too good. I think they'll be, you know, you'll get one or two out of the SEC. You'll get a a Big Ten champion that'll have a better resume, and you know, at Oklahoma maybe. I mean, I, I see there's too many other good options. What if I'll present this scenario? Let's say that Clemson gets its act together starting this week with Florida State. It obliterates the Seminoles. It obliterates Louisville. It obliterates BC. Wofford, who cares? It obliterates NC State. It obliterates Wake Forest. Then it loses a close rivalry game against Will Muschamp and those Gamecocks on the road. And then it goes to the ACC title game and obliterates Virginia. You still don't think Clemson, which has you know been to the playoff the last four years and has won a couple national titles, won't get the benefit of the doubt from the committee? I think Clemson well, gets Ohio State treatment, and the South Carolina loss, even if it was close, gets treated as a um, the the scar that could keep them out. Even if they were a one loss conference champion, I would see that Clemson team being left out for a one loss non conference champion from the SEC. Maybe this is the conspiracy person in me, but I don't see the team with Trevor Lawrence and Dabo getting left out with one loss unless there are four other undefeated teams. The defending champion, Clemson mm-hmm. Tigers? Yeah. Well, I think you, but you're presenting a, I, I think the, the, the more interesting question is, do they continue to like, cause you, you, you presented as if like they get it right. Like all yeah. of a sudden they start looking like the best team in the country and then they lose. So then I think that's different. If they continue to mess around and, win by 14 to yeah. you know then like that's that's i think where we really put the committee to, to test if you know oklahoma loses to texas and then wins in the big 12 championship game goes 12 and 1 and and then clemson who hasn't looked great but has still looked good do you know who gets in a, between those two who gets in between a one loss big 10 championship big 10 champion uh, versus like was does Ohio State lose to Wisconsin nope. and then beats them in the in the Big Ten nope. championship game? Nope, Ohio State ain't losing. Six hundred <laughs> plus six hundred. Ohio State ain't losing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, all right, last one here then. Uh, since in, this came in on a couple of different questions, what are our thoughts on Cincinnati? Where do we uh, where are we sitting with the Bearcats right now? Do you see a New Year's Six bowl run? They've got a crucial head to head win, so they are certainly a a conference champion favorite or at least have the inside road to get to the american athletic conference championship game and uh i 
I, I don't know, guys. I, I don't think – I think the one win can be defining and important for this Cincinnati program in terms of the energy it's trying to generate around the community. But I don't think that the team itself gives me confidence that they're going to run the table the rest of the way and be sitting out here. Because, I will say, 12-1 and with a conference championship, a win over UCF, and your only loss being to Ohio State, yes, I think that Cincinnati team is probably the highest-ranked group of five team. But I also know that group of five teams, when they take any loss – um, later in the season will find themselves falling pretty quickly in those uh, college football playoff rankings that are used to hand out a New Year's Six bid. So I'm not overly confident, but, I mean, obviously we are one huge step of the way there already. Yeah, they have to win out, and they would need Boise State or the Mountain West, you know, to lose a game as well. So, yeah, I think that they're in a good spot, but they have to win out and can they win out you look at the rest of their schedule at houston is next which is a lot more winnable than it looked early in the season then tulsa ecu on the road which ecu looks a little more difficult uconn's a win south florida on the road should be a win temple at home is going to be a tough game and then they finish on the road against memphis and that's before getting to the aac title game where they might meet memphis again two weeks in a row so it's if they went out, I would have a hard time imagining there's another group of five team ranked higher than them. Yes, because that US UCF win is going to hold a lot of sway when it comes to the committee's vote poll. Yeah, but here's the deal with this Cincinnati. Uh, this is not UCF. Like they beat UCF, but this is not the group of five juggernaut that UCF was last year or that Boise State's been in the past. This might end up being the best group of five team, but I mean, uh, you guys probably watched that UCF game. Like UCF looked like the better team, honestly. Like that's the sk- they look like this. If I'm a Power Five team, the one that I'm le- want to play least between the two is UCF. They got they and it was a home field advantage at night, and they took advantage of some red zone turnovers and. Kind of, I mean, it was one of those games that it's just like according to the eye test, UCF looked like the better team. So I, I'm not there yet with the Cincinnati being like the group of five juggernaut of the year. I just think this is a really good team, really well coached, that won a close game and tip of the cap to you. But I, I'm not going to start sort of rolling out the, the, the rose petals for your, your path. Yeah, I'd be a lot more confident if I had more faith in that offense. Yeah, I was going to say, you mean you're not going to roll out the bags at Tostitos, but uh, I think that the Glendale is actually a semifinal location, so uh, you won't be eating the Jerry World um, massive Texas State Fair uh, waffles, I guess. Uh, yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say I think the Rose Bowl might just choose to cease to exist before it takes Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, that's fun stuff. We've still got uh, more questions in the bag that we will use to begin our next listener edition of the listener mailbag. Thank you so much. Please, we are going to continue to collect, so continue to submit. You do that by leaving a five star rating. Uh, any kind of comment can be nice, can be critical. Uh, you can you can yell at Tom, but Include a good and entertaining question. I would say that uh, MVP questions, you know, loved the college mascots, loved Big Ten in five years. Uh, yeah, so just keep them coming. Good Thought stuff. Thought-provoking ones. Thought-provoking ones. Good good banter. Uh, you guys are best. You're the most educated listening audience. You all knew what Occam's Razor was. He is Barton Simmons. 
You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. This has been fun. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Is there-